acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. He says, because we receive this unshakable kingdom, we can offer to God an acceptable sacrifice through a right relationship to Him, through the work of Christ, and this acceptable sacrifice, when we read down in the next verse, chapter 13, verse 1, is continued love for the brethren. Chapter 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love. And you might wonder, well, and if you read chapter 13, you might kind of scratch your head and say, man, this, this guy's going all over the place. It's like reading the book of Proverbs. But really it's not. Because what he's showing in chapter 13 is how everything he's talked about in chapters 1 through 12 about the work of Christ and the work of the gospel in our hearts and what God has done to us and how he has lavished his love upon us by by the sacrifice of his son in our place, how he has uh, uh, brought us into his son uh, uh, now should flow into a faith that works itself out. A faith that walks is what we're calling it. And If you feel like chapter 13 really doesn't fit with the rest of the book, you may have missed the letter's earliest teaching because the Christian doctrine of what Jesus has done has profound profound content on our lives and how that changes our lives. What happens in chapter 13 is not just merely some implications that maybe you should, you should consider, and maybe there's some of them here that that's just not use and you ignore them. It's like an optional thing. No. The writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter 13, if the truths in 1 through 12 are so, then it demands these changes and this way of life. And so in these verses, Christians are expected to be loving, to be pure, to be contented, to be loyal, to be bold, to be worshipful, etc. Here, and So that's how we need to understand chapter 13 as we come into it and kind of now let, <clears throat> land the plane in order to uh, work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but on the salvation that Jesus Christ has already worked for and provided, now we work it out. And this is what it looks like in chapter 13. Now in verse 1, it's kind of the topic sentence. Let brotherly love continue. <coughs> Excuse me. In verses 2 through 6 that we're going to um, spend time in, uh, show us the how and the why of that. Now, in chapter 13, when he says, brotherly love, continue, which assumes something, doesn't it? It assumes that God's people are brothers, that there is a family that God has formed. And in chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, this has already been explained in chapter 2 in verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 11, where it says, for both he that sanctifieth And they who are sanctified, Jesus who makes us holy, and those who have been made holy, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church or the assembly or the congregation, will I sing praise unto thee. 
Jesus Christ has brought us near. He has made us who were orphaned, uh, apart from Christ, running in rebellion from Christ. He, through His Spirit, has saved us through the work of Jesus. He has brought us into God's family in the right relationship with Him. And Jesus now uh, sees us as His brothers. Jesus was the Son of God. We are called sons of God as well. The gospel changes us from being enemies to now being a family. By rightly relating to God as our Father through Christ, who you could picture as our older brother now, brought in the family of God. And so that's what he's trying to get across to us. And, and apparently, in, in fact, this has already uh, started to flesh out in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, uh, the people who are receiving this letter, the Hebrews, in chapter, ch- chapter 6 and verse 10, uh, he has said, uh, Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So this has started to flesh itself out among the, among the Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 23. He has said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works. Not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. This is this is this has begun to happen. In chapter ten and verse thirty-three, he says, "Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, a mockery, both by reproaches and afflictions, they were persecuted by people who didn't uh, uh, like what they believed, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used." For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So it had, it had, it had seeped its way into the fleshing out in their own lives. But now he's saying in chapter 13, one, let this continue. Let this continue. Let this never end. Let this go and go and go and go among the people of God. Let it continue. And so this is actually really part of the exhortation to not turn away from Christ. Because loving Christ is loving the brothers, is loving the brethren, is loving the family of God. I'd like you to see how this um, uh, fleshes out in the book of 1 John, please. 1 John. First John chapter three and verse ten. In this the children of God are made are manifest. In other words, in these things, this is what makes the children of God plain. It, it shows who the children of God are. And the children of the devil. So it displays who are God's children and who are the devil's children. That's what John says. Whoever, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Whoever does not practice uh, the, the righteousness, the new life in Christ, is not of God. Neither he that what? Loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. 
And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death, in the old life. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, has resources, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It's just incompatible for John to see people who do not love the, the, the family of God, and, 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 or who say they do, but never show acts of, uh, of love in that. And it's incompatible for John to say, how is the life of God in you? That's what he's saying. And John's saying, here's the big difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. Turning away from loving your brothers in real tangible acts of love is a telltale sign of an ungodly heart. And the church can be really good on, on, on pointing out all the fine points of doctrine. And it is very, doctrine is very important. But we should not get a pass, then, of not living out the doctrine. It doesn't matter how on point your doctrine you know in your head is. Because God has produced a new life in you if you claim to be a believer. And this new life is supposed to express itself in love. And look at chapter 3, verse 14 again. First John. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And John introduces several tests to, to answer the question, how do you know if you're saved? How do you know if Christ is in you? When these things start to, start to uh, be fleshed out because of the love that Father that's in you. Look at chapter 4, First John. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. John's saying, this is the life of God in you, and you will express it in loving the brethren. Chapter 4, verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother... He's a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And so the idea here is, if you have received this unshakable kingdom of right relationship with God, back in Hebrews now, right relationship with the Father, you will love the Father's children, your brothers, that is acceptable worship. Chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. He's not talking about this is how you save yourself. But this is how God's salvation works itself out with a fragrant new life of Christ. Let me just show you a little bit more here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9 and 10. Paul tells this church in Thessalonica... He says, but as touching or concerning brotherly love, 
You need not, or you don't need that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught, notice, you are taught of God to love one another. Friends, when we come to Christ, God puts this, this, this new heart in us. And in this heart are written his, is written His Word. And the law of Christ. And we, 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 uh, Paul says, you, you don't need to be reminded of this uh, as though you're hearing it for the first time, he's saying. He says, you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And then in verse 10, he says, and indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So what is he saying? You understand this, you are doing it well, but there's always room for more and more love. There's no limits. There's no limits on this. And what he's saying now in chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 1, let brother love continue. He's saying, so do it more. Do it more. Do it more. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, the flow of the gospel pours out brotherly love and God's sons, and this seems to be a real mark of the believer's life as you study the scripture. The flow of the gospel pours out brotherly love and God's sons. So back in Hebrews 13. So that's kind of the, 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 that's setting the stage, the foundation. And this is why we're only going to get into one verse today. I'll look in verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. <clears throat> what we can see here is that the way faith walks, it walks in, first of all, hospitality. Hospitality. Now, as you read that, uh, verse 2 there, you might see that word entertain. And you might think of Martha Stewart. And actually, that's not the best rendering of that word. The word, it's one word, entertain strangers. The word actually has a better rendering of... It's, and it's literally loving strangers. Loving strangers. And sometimes in our minds, when we hear about hospitality, we think of entertaining. And, um, you know, we think of, uh, of, of, of all... Uh, we think of Emily Post. Right? All the proper etiquette. That's what we think of. Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. Charlie, you're probably not thinking of that. But, um, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you, that's what you think of. You think of hospitality, you're thinking in your mind, entertainment. Where you're getting out the fine china, and, and, and you are making sure everything is, 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 is all nice and, and wonderful. And, and, okay, maybe that's one way you can express hospitality, but that is not the idea of hospitality. The idea of hospitality is simply loving strangers. Loving strangers. How do you love strangers? Well, they've got to be strangers to you, right? So how do you love them? Well, you love them until they're not strangers anymore. Then you have... Hospitality is our treatment of strangers. Someone who is away from their own home. You see, in those days, uh, you didn't want to stay at the hostels. They were more like the red light districts. You know what I mean. And so if you opened up your home, that was much more preferable to a stranger who would pass through. Hospitality is our, our treatment of strangers. Someone who's away from their home. Someone who maybe does not have the connections, the people that you know. Someone who might be uh, passing through. Maybe uh, um, one particular way you can think of this is, is, uh, is, 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 
is folks in ministry who might be passing through. Uh, maybe that's, that's one way you can think of it. But the idea is a little broader than that. And this same idea occurs in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. Again, the same concept with a life that is changed by the gospel and it is surrendered to Jesus Christ that is laid on the altar and has presented itself as a living sacrifice. A life like that will result in love. And one of the ways this love fleshes out is in Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 where Paul says, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. You see, that's not my gift. Yeah, Other people might be better at it than you. That's true. But this describes the life of a Christian who is given to hospitality. Who bends into this. Who leans into this. Uh, it's one of the qualities requ- required in those who desire the office of pastor... In 1 Timothy 3, 2, that they are a, 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 a man of hospitality. Love strangers. In Titus 1, 8. In fact, when there were some questions in the church at Ephesus over what widows do we, do, do our, do we help and support financially, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 10, the answer is... One of the qualifying marks was those who have exhibited hospitality, they're real high up on the list for helping. Go with me to First, first Timothy chapter 5. I'll show you this. Which to me shows that this is what Paul expected the, um, the, the households, the families, the churches uh, to be like. First, first Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. 9 says let not a woman be taken into the number the number of those who the church was uh, supporting the widows uh, under three score years old having been the wife of one man notice this verse 10 well reported of for good works if she have brought up children if she have lodged strangers if she have washed the saints feet if she have relieved the afflicted if she have diligently followed every good work. You see that concept of hospitality in there? And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and, and verse 9, Peter puts it this way. He says, Use hospitality one to another without what? Grudging. Now what do you think he means by that? Do you think maybe people may have been like us a little bit? Uh, gotta get the house here right here. Whatever. He says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. So it's clear here, though, however, that this is more than the mere entertaining of friends and acquaintances. That's in mind. This is a service that Christians are to present. And these Christians were to be ready to be prepared to do this because this was something that would be a source of amazement to non-Christian observers. He says in chapter 13 of Hebrews, chapter 2, don't forget to do that. Why would he tell you to not forget to do that? Because you have to be intentional about it, right? 
It will not happen by default. And the way it happens in intentionality is you recognizing that I do not live for myself anymore. I live to serve other people. Well, notice what he says at the end of it. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Angels. Now, maybe he's referring to Genesis chapter 18 and 19, where Abraham offers hospitality to these mysterious visitors, these strangers. They turn out to be angels. Uh, but we, we, we a lot of times take this verse and miss the point of it. The point of this verse is not to think, oh, you know what, when I had that, I, I, I helped that person out and, and then they disappeared. I wonder if that was an angel. You're totally missing the point of the verse. Because the point of the verse is, those have entertained angels, what? Unawares. They never knew it. They never knew it, is the point. And so what he is saying here is that you you may, in the way, entertain God's servants. And how horrible it would be, case in point, Sodom and Gomorrah, to turn away God's messengers... Because of the hardness or the selfishness of your heart. There was a, there's a story in Greek mythology um, that, uh, that really encountered Paul in the city of Lystra. Where there were two Greek gods that were sent down from heaven and they visited this, this city and the people didn't do anything for them. They didn't take care of them. And, and, uh, but there was, a, there was a poor farmer in his life outside of the city of Lystra who then um, uh, uh, provided meals, provided lodging for these two uh, gods, who, Greek gods who come out of heaven. And uh, what happened was um, the whole city was judged and, uh, and, and uh, chaos happened in the city, but that, uh, that, that poor farmer and his wife were spared. And so when Paul and, and, and Silas um, uh, come into that city of Lystra, or maybe it was Barnabas, I can't remember, Barnabas, I believe, um, uh, the people now start bowing down to, to Paul and Barnabas because they don't want the repeat to happen. So this is the kind of a, 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 an understanding there that there may be messengers from God who walk through our midst or God sends on our way and we would be on the wrong side of things if we selfishly turn them away. And the point of hospitality in verse 2 is this. Love strangers. What is that going to look like? That's going to look... Differently for different people, but I'll tell you one thing: it's gonna it's gonna look like it's gonna look like at least having meals together. Um, <clears throat> when was the last time you had somebody over your house who wasn't family, or you know the same friends that you usually do? We can do better at this as a church. I can do better at this as a pastor. This, on a scale of 1 to 10 of where we are in Christian hospitality, a lot of us just end at the handshake, good to see you kind of a thing. And we need to go further than that. Let me just share a little bit here as I, as I wrap up. This would have been something that was understood, by, I think, by the early church. Obviously something that they needed to continue in. But the writer here is probably telling them... <clears throat> 
to continue and to press farther in it. And they would probably be way farther down the road on this than we were. And he's telling them to continue it, to keep going, to keep pressing into hospitality. In fact, after the Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2, at the end of uh, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they are, they are in their houses together, eating bread together. And he wasn't just talking about the Lord's Supper. They liked each other. They hung out with each other. They realized they had been made a new family by the Spirit of God. And they loved each other. And they pressed into that. And it says they continued house to house and the breaking of bread and of prayers and, and, uh, <clears throat> and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There's a real unity. And the result of, of some of these things in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 is they would, their worship came out of this. And they had favor with all the people, the unbelievers. In fact, the early church loved each other so much, although there were problems, right? Where Paul had to step in like Corinth and say, hey, forgetting this calling. But the, but the Roman world knew that these lives were so intertwined and, that, and, and hospitality was such a way of life for them that the Romans, in order to begin to eradicate the Christians, started to event lies about them like, oh, they must be sleeping together. Oh, there must be incest going on. And they invented all these lies about them so that the world could, um, uh, uh, could, could have this, this kind of spin on, on, on all the good things that they, uh, that they saw and, and begin to question their good motives. It wasn't true, of course. But the reason they did that was because they saw that there was something there. There was something there. In fact, there's, there's this early letter called the letter to Diognetus. And he's saying... Uh, 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 Christians, they don't share wives, but they share everything else. They were impressed. They were absolutely impressed. We don't have time to look this morning, but I think of a woman named Lydia in Acts chapter 16. This woman apparently seemed to be a woman of resources, but right after she gets saved, the very first thing she says is, if it's okay with you, can we have the church in my house? <laughs> How many of you, that would be the first thing you would say? Right? Um, uh, and, and, and it does. It happens. And God births a church out of this. In uh, Romans chapter 16, Paul commends Aquila and Priscilla, and he says, in the church that meets in your house. In Colossians 4, he talks about this person, this lady, I think her name was a Nympha, and he talks about the church in her house. And let's say that there is a day when government take, took church property, and we would actually have to do what we, the early church, did and meet in homes. Would we already have enough of that going on to where that would flow seamlessly? Or would it really be a struggle? Could, do we already have, have hearts and homes that are, just, that, that are open? I think there are some. But, I, if I, but as I understand my own heart and maybe see some of the same signs in, in other lives uh, 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 of limitations of, of, of our selfishness, I, I think this is something we really need to grow in. And I'll say this. I believe someone who opens hearts and hospitality, who moves out of their comfort zone to really love strangers and those who they might not know as well and breaks out of their 
uh, circles of us four no more kind of a thing. We'll never come to the place where they say things like this. You know, it's the end of our lives, and we shouldn't have shared our lives with other people as much. That was just foolish. That was just dumb. Why did we do that? You know, we don't have many years left, but we should have hoarded our resources and relationships and lived more isolated from people. That, that just would have been so much better. I find that when you open your heart, you become vulnerable, and there's risk in that. But God takes that and He makes enlarges your heart. I don't think there's anybody who's ever said, you know what, we just love people too much. Why do we do that? And we regret that. It would have been so much better to withhold acts of service and love from other people. We really messed up doing that stuff. I don't know. I just don't think that kind of thinking at the end of life would exist. Maybe it does. I don't know. But that's not important. It's not important what we think about it. What's important is what God thinks about it and that we do right. And I think we will really grow strong and grow as a family when, as a church family and, and encourage and sharpen one another not just when we come on Sunday but we're interacting throughout the week um, these past three weeks um, in my life I feel like I have um, I've been a, a slingshot that's been pulled back very far and I feel like more has gone on in some ways in these past three weeks than in three years as far as ministry opportunities. And I feel God's really stretching me and He's pulling me back and it's scary. But I know He's doing that so He can launch me out. He can launch my life into more and more opportunities for His service and for His glory. And it's uncomfortable. And one of the things that he has done in my heart in the past few months is break out of my little Christian bubble that I've lived in. And I'm ashamed to say that I have lived in a bubble where I have not reached beyond my own needs. That I have not reached out to serve in the ways that I feel that Jesus would have me serve. And connecting with the community in the town. And God has broken me out of that little by little. And I really feel that in this day and age, where truth is not important until we see it lived out to people. That doesn't change the fact that truth is important whether people see it or not. But in the way that people receive truth... We really need to focus on Christian hospitality. Kathy started the dinner sixes, and that's one particular way to flesh it out. But that's, 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 that's kind of a structure to, to get things going. You need to press into more than that. Who in here do you not know very well? As I'm looking at the list of people who you know, attend on Sundays... Um, within, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, within the last five years, the number of people, since at least I've been here in 2008, um, 
uh, in the last five years, of, of about 120 people that attend, you know, they all attend at the same time, but about 100 people, somewhat regularly, at least 60 of those are new people in the last five years. I don't know if you realize that, but, it, but it's true. It's true. And, and that means if, 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 if you have only had connections with the same people, there's lots of people there you've got to get to know. And it's not that you have to entertain. It's that you just open your hearts, and a lot of times it means opening your homes. And seeing your home as an embassy of God's kingdom, as an avenue of ministry. I really believe as we look at the early church, homes were really, really important. In fact, I did a word study on the word home. Uh, not a word study, but a concordance study on, on the time that is listed in the New Testament. And it was kind of fascinating, the way it's used and how the home uh, was really a center of ministry. People would be invited into homes. Uh, households would become saved. The Philippian jailer and his, and his household, Lydia and her household, would come to Christ. But they would open their homes for ministry. And we think of the first uh, Gentile convert, Cornelius, uh, saved in his own home. And who knows what comes out of that in Caesarea? God has given us so much that we have so many opportunities to share our resources. And one of them is our home and our lives. And I think if the church is quick to only share our faith, but not our lives, we would miss the ways of Jesus and Paul. Jesus shared faith and truth But he shared it in relationships, didn't he? And the Apostle Paul says, you know my doctrine. And he says, you know my way of life, he says to Timothy. And as I said before, nobody lives in Maine because they're extroverts. But that doesn't mean it's okay. And we need to break out. And perhaps it means inviting a couple people over and saying, what can I pray for you for? How are you doing? How did you meet? What's your work like? What are some ways you need help in? You might find that there's people with skills in this room that you didn't even know about. I'm finding that. It's amazing. The abilities, the opportunities to serve... God's people need to be unleashed into the ministry of God, and we can be as people who have been changed by the gospel. And I think that's the point of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Let brotherly love continue through hospitality. You won't regret it. Let's pray.